Welcome to the Security Operative Podcast. This is Tony O'Brien of Security Operative Consultancy Services, here to share with you my perspectives from the world of security and risk management. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Security Operative Consultancy Services Podcast. This is Tony O'Brien here from Security Operative Consultancy Services. Again, on the podcast, we talk all things security and risk management. Uh, going to keep this one kind of short this week. This is episode number 34, I believe. Uh, and the theme of this week's episode is accidents, uh, accident reports, accident management, and how we should deal with accidents in premises, whether we're a provider of, of security or facilities to our clients, or we are somebody who engages security to provide security uh, or facilities indeed for us. So the different approaches to accidents, accident reports, accident management, and why it's important, I suppose. I suppose why it is important. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we have been engaged by um, a medium-sized security provider to help them with an accident management policy and a set of accident management procedures and processes that they can follow across their client stores. Some of the challenges that they had experienced over the last number of years was um, being involved in uh, accidents and being named as defendants in accidents uh, on client premises and not having a joined up policy instead going with the client's policy in specific client uh, locations and, and in turn that has cost them then in, in legal cases uh, and then there was another interesting case I think it was the Irish Court of Appeal a uh, number of weeks back on the subject of discovery of accident reports so I'll talk a little bit about that and then we'll talk a little bit about the management of accidents as well but like I said I'm going to try to keep it keep it as short as possible so if I start off I suppose with accidents and, and you know why it is such an issue I suppose for providers of security and indeed particularly these new newer model security providers who are facilities providers who are providing security and cleaning and or maintenance I suppose particularly prevalent for them but also prevalent for, for I suppose clients who might be employing security or anyone who has an in-house security service as well I suppose. Uh, and that, I suppose, is looking holistically at the treatment of how we treat and manage accidents. And I suppose over the years, it's been a, a big terrifying experience for, for a lot of organizations, you know, terrified of liability, admitting liability, uh, terrified of, you know, being sued. And that's the nature of doing business, I suppose. And I won't argue by any stretch that the Irish uh, legal system is not flawed. It's absolutely flawed. Some of the overpayments and, and oversettlements, anyone that I know in legal circles will tell you that it's a serious issue. Uh, even the solicitors don't approve embarrassments, don't approve oversettlements by insurance companies. But I suppose it all comes back to a couple of things, I suppose. Having the structures in place, how you consistently across the board manage accidents. Now, as providers of security, whether that is retail, corporate, door supervision or events, I suppose, we're hamstrung a little bit by the resources that the client is going to put to the safe systems of work that are going to be in their, in their client premises. But what we can do, I suppose, is manage the accidents you know, when they do occur, and hopefully they don't occur that often. But I suppose what it comes back to for me is uh, having a, an accident risk assessment. And people might say, why would you have an accident risk assessment? Surely, you know, the accident is the outcome of the risk. An, an accident has happened, you know. And I would always say, well, the accident itself may not be the risk. The accident may be the hazard. The risk is what comes out of that accident that might come to pass. So for example, the liabilities that might arise, the loss of client contract that might arise, the loss of reputation for the security or facilities provider, or indeed for the client that might arise, financial loss that might arise, uh, psychological impact on if it's a serious accident or incident to their employees. So having a risk assessment that looks at, look, these are the potential negative consequences or outcomes. 
um, for that, but also not just looking at it from a consequential, a pure risk point of view, but looking at it from an opportunity risk point of view. What can we start using the accidents that happen? How can we start using those things, those negative interactions in a positive way to learn from them and improve from them and looking at that opportunity risk as well as us. Not just making sure it doesn't happen again, but making sure that because this thing happened, everybody else after that has better, better experience. So we have our risk assessment. We've identified our risks. We come up with a potential treatment plan for those risks, and then we embed that in a policy. And that should be a corporate, if you're a security provider, a corporate security provider's policy on accident management that you then spread out into SOPs within your assignment instruction in the client's file. So you have an accident management procedure then. And those will be tweaked a little bit. But it's important to differentiate here between you having an accident procedure and your client in your client's premises have an accident procedure that they wish you to act upon. And that has to be clarified in the, in the service level agreement. But I think they should definitely be kept two separate things in my experience. Uh, I'm a big proponent of if you're a security provider for a client, whether that's in a, in a bar, nightclub, hotel, retail, corporate, whatever the case might be, that you should not be completing your client's accident report forms and your client per your client's accident procedure. They may ask you to do that, but I would be very, very wary of doing so. And I would always, even if you are doing that, also complete your own accident report using your own accident procedure. Because the reality is, in the event of an accident, more than likely it's going to result in a civil claim. And in that civil claim, it is very, very likely that you are going to be named as a defendant. Your security company is going to be named as a defendant along with the client. So in a case like that, you completing the client's accident report to protect the client may not necessarily be what best protects you in those circumstances. So it's important for that, that you don't have that, that conflict, that you're completing your own independent accident report, your own independent accident investigation of incidents and accidents that happen on client premises, not just completing your client's one. And I would even argue that it shouldn't be you completing your client's one. It shouldn't be an external uh, contractor. So that's a very, very important one. The client, I won't say will often, but can look to push liability from themselves onto the provider, whether that's a facilities or a security provider for accidents. If you'd filled out their accident report, you're basically providing the evidence that's going to go against you. And I don't think your insurer would well, thank you for that. You know? So having that independent, that impartial, looking for the things that are going to protect you uh, and your uh, your liability, I suppose, in, in systems like that. So that's having your, your own as a security provider, a corporate accident management policy and then independent individual accident management procedures on different client sites or different projects that tie back to that policy. Um, and like I said, having that the risk assessment that it comes off the policy and the procedure. In addition to that, then I suppose, making sure that you have within your assignment instruction, having that as appendix in there for your accident procedure in your actual main body of your assignment instruction. But in addition to that, having accident incident reports in there, whether it's electronic or whether it's paper-based uh, accident incident report, but also in the appendix is somewhere having an accident management checklist for your on-site staff of what what are the things you want them to do in the event of an accident or incident happening, even in the in the aftermath? And we'll talk a little bit about that. So firstly, if we talk about then the accident report, whether that be a paper-based one or whether you're using some kind of a form-based system, whether you're using Microsoft Forms or Google Survey or, or any of those things, Google Forms, whatever the case might be, or you've got a specific app-based one for, for the management of accidents. In, uh, I have a, an accident template. It's up on our website, and I very recently made, made amendments to it. But I suppose it's important to to stress really to your employees when they're on site 
why are we asking you to fill in this accent report? It's not just a case of getting an accent down on paper. The primary reason that security providers are asking employees to fill in accent reports is in anticipation of potential legal claims. Now that brings us into the argument of discovery and whether it's discoverable. So in Ireland and possibly in the jurisdictions where you're listening to us in, we have the principle of discovery where the other side can come in and look for discovery of documents related to the case, for example, the accident report. And in a number of cases in Ireland recently, there have been cases where the providers or the, the defendants have fought back and said, no, that accident report is actually legally privileged because it was written with a legal case in mind, so it's legally privileged. You know, it's not just a health and safety report, and, and the Court of Appeal has held to that, that the primary reason in those cases were. So I will always say, having something at the top, and I'll, I'll put my accent, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll put my accident report template up on the screen here for you. Uh, if you're not watching on YouTube, uh, I will put it in the in the show notes so you can have a look at it. But I generally have a, a note at the top of the accident and incident report to get across to the person, look at you're writing an accident and incident report for the sole reason, the primary reason, I won't say the sole reason, the primary reason of potentially going to court and defending that accident and incident report. Okay. You have to assume that every time you fill in an accident and incident report, that you are going to end up defending the evidence that you write in that report, whether it's electronically or on paper, in a courtroom. So you have to remember that with the quality of detail and incident that you put in it. It has to be factual, it has to be full, it has to be to the point, and it can't be based on opinion in most cases. So the general header that I put in as a note in there is, and I'll read it out directly for those of you who aren't watching it on YouTube, I suppose. Uh, this report must be completed as soon as is practical after an incident or accident by a competent person. I'm going to come to that in a second. So as soon as is practicable, making it a contemporaneous record of events. And contemporaneous records are often given much more weight in courts than records making a, 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 a more distance or time in, into the future. And then it must be completed by a competent person. So what that says to me is then that if we're going to ask that our accident report is completed by a competent person, then we should have given that person the training to complete an accident report, whether that training was online or in person. But they must be shown, look, this is the principles of an accident report. This is why you're filling it out. This is how you fill it out. And this is what will happen with that report later. And they must be supervised and monitored and make sure that they're given the correct instruction. So the note then goes on to say, the person completing this report must be aware that the primary purpose of the report being completed is with a view to a potential future civil claim. The report may be used in evidence. It may also be reported to the Health and Safety Authority and forms part of our overall key reporting metrics. So it could be used in a civil case. It could also potentially be used in a criminal case under the Health and Safety Acts. So the person writing and completing the report must be made aware at the very, very start, or should be made aware, that the report that they are writing, they may very likely have to go to court and defend its contents, and they have to write that. Now, when I'm completing accident reports, I generally, or when I'm designing accident reports, I generally define it into two different parts. I have my cover page, which is the accident report, which is the basic details of the people involved, your accident details, like your time, date, site, location, people involved. The details of the person who was injured, the details of the injuries, and the details of any treatment or witnesses. And then that's as far as I will go with the, uh, with the public page. Following that, my second page is our investigatory. And I make a point of putting this at the, the second page. Uh, 
So second page starts off with, please provide full details of the accidents or incidents below, including any witness statements. Attach further pages if required, because what we don't want is a person putting less in in order to fit it into the page. Please attach any sketches, photographs, or video footage of the accident or incident report to this form. Now, we'll go into accident management and checklists in a couple of minutes, but we want them to put more than the accidents. And then a highlighted page, a highlighted notice says, this page is for company use only and should not be viewed by or given to the customer at the time of the incident. So then we have our page for filling it in and a truthfulness declaration then at the end. And then we can have whatever additional pages then that we want uh, to put in it then afterwards. But important to get across to people, why are we completing accident reports? Every accident report is completed, bearing in mind that we assume a claim is going to come in. So it's a legal report you are filling out. It has to be filled out with that detail included. So in addition to that, we have our report, we have our statements. We also have to give some guidance then to I suppose the people completing the report on what we expect them to do in the event of that accident occurring. So what do we expect you to do? What evidence do we expect you to gather? And how do we go about gathering that evidence? So at the initial stage of the accident, having an accident checklist, I like, I don't have it open here in the screen or I would, but I'll put my accident checklist in the, um, into the show notes for this if anyone's looking for a PDF version of it. So we're looking for them certainly to complete an accident report. We're looking for them certainly to get witness details. And we're looking for them certainly to um, cordon off an area or secure a sterile area. Contact emergency services if required. Okay, secondary. We're going to start looking at spreading this out then. We're looking at to get, save the CCTV footage. Take photographs and overtake photographs. And we talk about taking photographs. I did a separate article before on um, little accent kit that I keep. So having little accent kit included in your site kit for managing accents. Uh, and in that, I would have things like a, a tape measure because when you take photographs, you want to take your photographs to scale and have some measurements on it. Uh, I keep some graph paper for getting out a, a drawn graph, but there's also technology solutions that can work for that now. Uh, so gathering the evidence, video footage, drawings, photographs, uh, witness details, statements from people, and showing an employee then how exactly we expect you to compile a statement uh, for, for an accident. And uh, that's a separate, separate podcast. I'll do something on that separately. Um, and then in the aftermath of then, then what do we want them to do? Call management. And then that's in our on-site. Uh, let your security contract management know, your account manager know about it. Post that then, we have a corporate accident management. Okay, an accident has occurred in our site. We have been communicated this by our security officer or our cleaner or our facilities management person. It's come into us. We've looked at the accident report. What, what do we want our senior management in the office to do? Okay, do we want them to contact uh, I would have things in the accident checklist like uh, contact our insurers, contact our client, uh, get copies of the CCTV from the client or attempt to get copies of the CCTV from the client. Uh, potentially, if it involved our security people having a follow-up call with the injured party, uh, potentially, and building a case file then to go after our insurers. So having that, that checklist then in, uh, in place then afterwards. So what that does is allows us to build it. And even for the accidents that never end up being a civil case, we should be keeping those access uh, accident and incident reports. You know, because one, one or two things, it could be a prolonged case before you get notification of a civil claim, or alternatively to that, it helps us give, build, build good practice and keeping metrics of the type of accidents that are occurring in client premises. So for example, if we have one particular client and they're having much more accidents in their place than they are in ours, then perhaps we need to look at the SLA with the client to start insulating ourselves a little bit more. If we are a client, uh, I suppose uh, it would be held centrally or corporately anyway. 
Uh, but it also starts to look at well, are there particular security officers that are not doing things? But I suppose the important message, as I was trying to get across at the very, very start, is, is having that separation between the client's accident management systems and the security or the facilities uh, providers' accident management systems, because they are very, very important to have that separation of powers. Uh, because like I said, in court, it can very much turn into a, well, actually it was our security provider or our cleaning providers issue, particularly in contentious cases like slip trips falls, if you're, unless you've got cleaning facilities in there, I suppose. But if it's something like a um, customer knocked over in, in a, in a, in a different challenging situation, conflict situation involving a security person and an innocent party gets knocked over, um, criminal damage caused to a customer's property by a, a, a shoplifter or something and they've tried to take a claim or in a, in a nightclub or a bar venue where a customer gets injured and they try and sue the venue and the venue names the, names the security provider. So having that separation, I think, is, is very, very important. Getting the evidence gathered. But I think building that competent person on site, because if it gets back to company level and we hadn't had that competency on site to build a competent base of evidence for us about the, then forget about it. When it comes to the follow-up thing, I always say to people, particularly in bars and nightclubs when I'm teaching in, in hospitality venues and stuff, I, I used to have a saying over the years when I when I worked in, I was a head of security in, in, in various venues, hotels, um, nightclubs around the country and around the world. Uh, I would have a saying that people generally don't sue for their injury, they sue for their treatment. So you are more likely to get a claim, in my experience, from a person who has minor injuries but felt like they were treated badly. And we've instituted ones, um, I suppose, over the years with people where they have a quick follow up call with the customer. So, for example, let me take you one through one that we designed with a nightclub. Um, they had a policy where they would do the treatment, whatever the case might be, uh, deal with the incident. Then we had a replaying procedure, uh, which, again, are having the accident checklist for the, for the, for the clients is, you know, uh, after an accident, make sure the first aid kit gets replaned immediately before it goes back up on the wall or back into the kit, whatever the case might be. But it was... Uh, once an accident happens, we immediately bring people in, we get witness details. Uh, we will get that person taken to uh, emergency services, either by ambulance or we will pay for a uh, taxi to, to take them up there. Uh, we would often have a representative from the, from the establishment would go with them to the hospital to make sure that they get up there okay. Uh, and then that would be followed up the very next day with a phone call to the person. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Um, how are you feeling after? It's no problem. Uh, look, sorry about what happened. Why don't you pop down to us next weekend when you're feeling a bit better? We have a few free passes and a few free drinks for you here just to make sure you're okay. And some places would go, no, Jesus, no, that, that's admitting liability. I can say hand on heart, right? One, it reduces the number of claims that will actually come in, right? But secondly, you are either liable for the accident or you are not. And a court will decide that and your insurers will decide that. Whether you give a person a free pass for the following week or not is not going to make any difference whatsoever to it. So people are very unwilling to do goodwill gestures and stuff like that. I think if they're managed right, they can be absolutely fine. You know, in stores, uh, I was doing a lecture with a, with a retail group there very recently and we talked about um, uh, managing goodwill gestures. We said, oh, look, somebody comes into a deli counter and said, I was sick after I ate your sandwich. You know, very simple thing. Uh, look at let me just check something for you. They went back. I'll give you a call in an hour. Sorry you feel that way. Just go home, relax yourself. Let me give you a call in an hour. We ring, ring them in an hour and say, okay, look, I've checked all the hassle blogs. I can send you copies or, you know, you can come in and have a look. Everything seems to be in order, orange. But genuinely, you're a good customer. I don't want you at home feeling that we've done you wrong. So why don't you pop down next couple of lunches around us, you know, and... We hope that that will make you feel a little bit better. You know, and people say, well, is that not a bit of liability? You are either liable or you're not. Giving them a free lunch the next time is not going to change that, you know. 
so having an accident management structure, having that structure in place for how you follow up with a customer care point of view, because you know your customer's customer is your customer, and you don't know who that customer is. They could be you know a potential client themselves, and how you treat them can go a long way to how the situation then then ends, I suppose. So I'm going to leave it at that for accident management. Yeah, hopefully you got something from it. As always, I'm open to questions on it or queries or other ones. Uh, the idea just came into my head there about uh, doing one on compiling statement writing and teaching people. This was having trust in our guys, making sure that we have policies and procedures in place that support that and having checklists that they can follow. So until next week, this has been episode 34 of the Security Operative Podcast. Uh, I've been Tony O'Brien, as you all know. And I shall talk to you in episode number 35. Thank you for listening to the Security Operative Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and got some value. If you'd like to follow more of our activity, you can find us on any of our social channels at Security Operative Consultancy Services. See you next time.